Red on Red. This week in the podcast, we're joined by Rory O'Brien, frontman of Noise Outfits, Hands Up Who Wants to Die, and Ten Past Seven, as well as taking in tunes from this weekend's Cork Jazz Festival.
Ten Past Seven with Comedy Night from Shut Up Your Face, released, God, 2006 via Out in a Limb Records, and Bantam with Roll, featuring none other than Jer from Ten Past Seven on The Skins. Bantam, of course, playing a collaborative gig with Bon Voyage this Friday, uh, helping open the Kino's Jazz Festival proceedings. Uh, tickets for that available at uticket.ie, doors 8pm. This is Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast, dropping every Wednesday evening via Cork's Red FM and redextra.ie. We're also available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen. I'm Mike McGrath-Ryan, and this week we're joined in studio by a certified legend of weirdo Irish music, uh, a veteran in his own right, a sonic manipulator for Hands Up Who Wants to Die, uh, his own project, Dancing Bears, and uh, most recently, again, 10 Past 7, Rory Francis O'Brien. How's it going, buddy? (laughs) How are you doing? Not too bad, yeah, yeah. Thanks a million for coming out. It's busy, busy times for you at the minute. Yeah, uh, yeah. Between projects, Hands Up Who Wants to Die is just off the road. Ten past seven, coming back on November 1st uh, at the Spalpeen Faunuk with Horse in support. That's right, yeah, yeah. For Halloween or like in between. It's going to be... Some time. It's, you're a sound man, in fairness <laughs> to you. Uh, and it's all going to be all sound. That's happening at the Spalpeen Faunuk on Friday, November 1st. For more information, find Ten Past Seven all over social media. And, you know, before we kind of talk about Ten Past Seven's recent uh, purple patch and comeback, because mm-hmm. there's been a couple of shows and you've been busy with other projects as well, let's kind of wind it all the way back to kind of the outset of Ten Past Seven, uh, because I'm sure it doesn't feel all that long at all. It's been well over a decade since the release of debut album Shut Up Your Face, and I imagine that mm. the genesis of the band goes a lot further. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we came to Cork in 2002 and did music management and sound course and Stefan Nefa and kind of started the band as like a kind of a jam. And that's why we didn't have the vocals because it was like we didn't want to have to make up full songs. And and then we just heard all this music that was coming out of Cork and internationally, like all kind of Godspeed and Tortoise and then Rednecks and Weevil and Rest and all. And it just became like, oh, this is something we can actually do. Yeah. And we were just given the freedom to kind of, uh, yeah, not have vocals, but it wasn't an intention in the first place. And we were just playing like a bunch of gigs a week and jamming every day. And it's very different now. <laughs> Did that fit at odds at all with uh, music sound and management? Kind of, you know, like they, they, they do kind of pride themselves rightfully on their record of having helped make some hit makers over yeah. the years, like Sinead Lowen, like O Emperor. And then at the other side, you also have it as kind of a, a more fertile hotbed of people that have been practicing for a couple of years that are coming through in various capacities. It, it was perfect because of the fact that you had people from all different kind of, we'll say, coming at it for different reasons. So people straight out of school, as well as people coming back to do something to kind of formalize their knowledge of stuff. But you had sound engineers, you had people who were like really good on a bunch of different instruments, loads of diverse kind of interests in types of music. Yeah. So for us, it was like just, it was perfect. Like we could just record stuff and practice and borrow gear. You could try out different gear, learning a bit of music theory as well. Like it just fast forwarded a lot of the stuff that we would have just been making a lot of mistakes which we made anyway but it just kind of helped us to be really confident in what we were doing and it made the gigs really you know, we we were we knew how to be in tune yeah we knew how what it was like to be on stage without having to do you know years of gigs 
Yeah. You know, so so it was super helpful in that way, yeah. It's interesting then that you bring up the likes of Rest in that list of mm. influences, so to speak, because, you know, the early to mid-2000s, as you mentioned, was a bit of a transformative time and really kind of where the seeds started being sown for the current growth of independent music uh, in Ireland, uh, you know, in addition to Rest and Waiting Room more locally. Uh, you know, up in Dublin, you had the likes of uh, Rednecks, uh, Dudley Corporation, um, the Jimmy Cake, mm. um, you know, it was just such a fertile ground for you to kind of really take something and make it unique. Um, maybe talk to us a little bit about coming up during that period of time of what that whole buzz was like. Well, what, I suppose what was interesting about it from our perspective is we didn't really know any of that stuff was going on. We were kind of you know, 17, 18. A lot of the bands that were around, like, you know, Give Man a Kick were around. Or maybe they, they hadn't started Justin Week. were a band. They would have been Tooth. So, yeah, it was like, but they were just gone, I think. And then it was just in that in-between. So it just seemed as though there was people that were like, even if you're like three years older than us, yeah, you've, you know, been around at that at that stage. So yeah. it meant that we just were doing what we were doing. Regard, you know, we didn't really know about half of the stuff that a lot of those other people knew, like bands. So we were just learning loads. And we just kind of got brought along for the ride, whereas other bands had been kind of, been there and kind of maybe paved away you know it's that kind of thing of like weevil might have been playing you know a bunch of gigs and people are like we don't understand what this is yeah but with weevil and rest being around and then for us to come along it wasn't a million miles away from stuff that people had heard whereas i imagine when rest first started people are like i don't get it yeah a, a bit more than when we came around and then you know flash forward five years after we were around it wasn't even a question no, Matt you know? Rock had really kind of set yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, by no, that but point. when we were first playing, it was like, why don't you have vocals, play a killer song? People didn't understand what was going on, you know? No. I imagine that was a challenging environment to emerge into, but what you mentioned, give a man a kick, and of course, no conversation about 10 past 7 is complete without talking about Out on a Limb Records, yeah. which now is kind of rightly revered in certain quarters for the role that it has played in helping kind of do its part. Uh, in terms of facilitating that whole scene of bands that was happening. First in Limerick, could give a man a kick. Uh, Is it okay to be loud? Jesus was my mm. very first kind of Irish DIY album and it was my light bulb moment. Um, you know, other people have said the same about yourselves. Other people have said the same about Waiting Room, uh, Rest, Hooray for Humans, well, I mean, it's exactly what, what, what I was just saying, this kind of idea that they, you know, give a man a kick, had a recording, or like, I don't know what we're going to do with it. And then, you know, Richie was like, I'll, I'm up for putting it out. Let's just, you know, try and see what happens, you know. So they didn't even have somebody to pave the way for them that much. Yeah. But then, and, and, and Albert was there as well. So then by the time we were a band, we played a gig in, in, in Limerick when there was a, the Aspersion Music Collective and a bunch of sound people there actually putting on shows. We played a gig. They had... They just about were starting to form a record label at that time. And then yeah. we, again, feel like we just bandwagon jumped onto that. But it was like Waiting Room, Rest, Give Man a Kick, at two albums out before we managed to get one. It would have been, yeah, you we know? had the way forward in 2005. Jesus. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was just that thing that we, uh, we were just kind of, uh, just that bit younger and uh, were just kind of fit in and we, we got on with everybody so much and everyone was just doing it for their own reasons there was no kind of idea of what it was to be a DIY band there wasn't really any options either way but they also Out in a Limb found itself in a kind of an interesting 
just on the the what ended up being the the end of the CD, you know. Yeah. So at that time, you couldn't stream music really. You could download stuff, but it was if it you know it would take somebody to actually upload it in the first place. So at that time, you could sell CDs, you know. iTunes was very gatekeepy as well, very yeah, early on. Absolutely, and especially like if you didn't have. If you weren't part of a major label, you actually couldn't be streamed a lot of the time yeah. anyway. So it meant that we were able to go around and do gigs and, you know, the, the CDs were in the shops. Like, yeah. I can't even imagine a band thinking about that now where it's like, yeah, I mean, some, you know, record shop in Sligo had like 10 CDs and maybe sold three of them. And, you know, and then we got some back. And so we managed to experience this whole thing of... Um, I don't know, like being like a band who had an album out in the shops. It was yeah. mad. I remember I was playing in Virgin Records when it was in town, and it was like, the CDs are on the shelves next to the Deftones and stuff, you know? <laughs> it I was just kind of mad. I remember seeing um, a 10 past 7 CD in, of all places, um, Dano Centra in Donrill, where, you know, awesome. RMG Chart had picked up some of the distribution off of Out in a Limb and just kind of had stuck it on the lower yeah. reaches of the shelves under the chart CDs at the time when RMG Chart were doing kind of in store installations for yeah. Centra. Like, wild, wild shit to think about I now. W- in I wonder who, how it, I mean, obviously now the internet has taken over from that kind of, we'll say, random access to stuff. But at the time, having that physical copy there, someone picks it up, they like the look of it, or they're just intrigued. And and it kind of works quite well for a band like 10 Past 7 that maybe we do fit into a genres and stuff like that. But our mentality is just to be a bit different, you know, or... or, or you're not really sure how to take it. So it would be the, the mindset of someone going along, picking up that CD. That's the perfect audience as someone who goes, I don't know what this is. You'd a shiny <laughs> cover as well. Yeah, yeah. That always helps matters. Yeah. So I think um, that it, it's kind of another world, really, from the internet stuff, you know. That whole tactile experience is something that we could get mm. into forever. Yeah. Uh, but we'll avoid the rabbit hole for now, although <laughs> we, we're going to revisit that in the future episode of the podcast. Speaking of your debut album, Shut Up Your Face, gets mm-hmm. released in 2006 via Out on a Limb, as you mentioned, first of all on CD and then later via Bandcamp in 2011 as part of their digital reissue mm. campaign. Maybe talk to us a little bit about how Shut Up Your Face came together. Um, just the process of collecting earlier songs that had been put together as well as writing new songs um, just generally agreeing and settling on an album post-production process and what you remember about how it was received yeah it was kind of interesting because we I think I'm not sure if we had the stuff recorded but at the time we, we did a gig in Limerick and we met Albert and Albert was like hey you know what if you record something I'll put it out I didn't know what he was involved with at the time or whatever you know yeah. he was just putting on the gig but we kind of got this idea of like oh geez we really should try and get something together because even that idea of just anybody even a random person saying it to us so I, I i'm not sure if we had the ep recorded so the ep we just recorded as part of the the, the college year it was like oh let's record something it was burr quinn recorded it who's now you know does Muse, sound live for villagers and all kinds of stuff yeah and, you know, he's, but at the time he was like, oh man, this guy's way better than me at sound. And I'm also meant to be getting grades and sound. But you know, it, it shows over time. It's like Mick Flannery was in, in the same class as us. Yeah. And he was writing songs. I was writing songs. And I was like, oh man, I got to give up. This, this, this is just some dude <laughs> who's the same age as me who's like in this course with me. And then years later, you're like, okay, no, he's, he's 
you know, a cut above, like. So we, we actually recorded onto that, that first Ooh. EP, onto, like, yeah, all VHS tapes, <laughs> and did a jam of a bunch of songs in the middle, so there's, like, three of the tracks are just one take, once, you know, one go live onto the thing. So then we were like, oh, we're after putting out this thing with five tracks on it, out in a limb who now at this stage were like, hey, you know, we did maybe a couple of gigs for him and say, hey, you know, if you want to do something, we think it'd be class to put it out. Then we had to write a bunch of songs. <laughs> and I actually originally asked, could we do an EP? Because I thought like, okay, we could definitely get another five songs together. Yeah. You know, but literally we just, you know, it just, we managed to get enough songs together to fill a side of a CD. Yeah. And that was when we were like, can we bring it out now? And then we, we actually, speaking of distribution, if you think about it in this weird way where we were going to release the album and we had a tour booked for the release of the album and Coldplay were bringing something out. So uh. then, because Coldplay were bringing something out, Gamak, Give Man a Kick, had to move their release date and then it meant we had to move ours. And that affected us. Jeez. <laughs> when you think that, like, how, how little that has any bearing on, on uh, what we would do now. You know, because attention spans are different. Whereas this was the height of CD, and labels were still kind of guarding their well, their the trucks CD wouldn't buyers. take it. So it was almost a case oh, right. where, where you, kind of, you know, it was like, look, we've got we've got X amount of boxes of this thing. We're gonna flog loads of this. We don't really have room for the the extra. But you know, it was, it was almost like that. You know, I was about to say that's the labels being cynical as opposed to the distributors. Holy yeah, cow. a bit of, a bit of everything going on where it was like, look, it's just there's too much noise. Put it out, whatever this other time. You know, What's so. That? Yeah, like how do you tour that then if you can't if you've no shops to point to? So and then say, we ended us. up doing we just did another tour uh, and then we were like okay we'll have to release it after Christmas or whatever. So we had the album done. The same thing is kind of happening us now where we're, we're doing a gig soon um, around Halloween and it's like you know we're in the middle of finishing an album but we're not going to rush it because Ooh. we know it's going to take a while you know. Uh, but uh, so we recorded with Ross um, O'Donovan. In uh, Carrigaline, and they converted a house, uh, you know, his where he was living. So we kind of recorded in a bedroom, essentially. Yeah. And we actually did some demos with um, Mark O'Connor, Balls of Iron, who recorded the Give Man a Kick album, and um, that was that was sounded really cool as well. And we just kind of came to the decision it'd be like just easier to do it in Cork, I guess. I think we thought Ross was flashier and. Wayne, our waiting room, we're recording with him and stuff, and we're like, "Oh yeah, that's really cool." So, uh, but I mean, we're happy with it. Like, I think, I think it could have been more. You know, listening back to the recordings now, it's like we just want everything to be more noisy and more live. Yeah. But I think at the time we wanted to have something that you could hear what we were playing. That was actually our motivation. <laughs> Nothing about how it would sound, other than d distinctly being able to hear the parts. You know. And ye certainly did get heard. Yeah. When we come back, we'll talk about what happened next for 10 past 7. But first, we're going to go to some more tunes from this weekend's Cork Jazz, happening from Thursday all the way through Monday, the biggest music weekend of the year. And this episode of the podcast, we got some of the more eclectic and homegrown tunes for you, happening Saturday afternoon at the Kino as part of that venue's ongoing festivities at 1 o'clock. Clannacilty songwriter Eve Clegg is performing a solo show at the former Art House, while at 5 o'clock, Softboy Records in-house jazz band 5 to 2 uh, hot off the release of their debut LP through the label is contributing its unique world-informed take on jazz to proceedings coming up we got 5 to 2 with Latin Vader but first this is Eve Clegg with In Needing Others here
on Red on Red.
5 to 2 with Latin Vader, Softboy Records, Resident Jazz Heads, uh, playing this Saturday afternoon at the Kino as part of that venue's regular jazz festivities. Head to uticket.ie for more information and tickets. This is Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast, and we're still joined in studio by uh, Kerry Bog Prog's magical weirdo, Rory O'Brien. And Rory, before the jump, we were talking about how the first album came out and really as it was kind of being released into the Byzantine period of the old mm. music industry uh, on the independent level. Fast forward to 2010 uh, and the bottom had well and truly fallen out of CD at that stage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bandcamp had just emerged as a bit of a disruptor when it came to digital sales and direct engagement with artists. And the band was on a swing of dates between Ireland and France, which led to the release of Black Box Recordings, which, you know, out on the limb and yourself decided to go in and join partnership yeah. with uh, on a crowdfunding campaign. So maybe talk to us a little bit about your circumstances at the time, what what went into the gap between releases. I know there was a couple of splits yeah. uh, and an EP, but maybe talk to us a little bit about where your head was at the time that you settled on a crowdfunding I, I suppose it's it almost is a history of like how that stuff was going in a DIY, you know, the scene or whatever it was. First album comes out, you know, we were... Like, the fact that we got out something on CD was, like, amazing to have that physical thing. And we could sell CDs. We ma- managed to, like, get around Ireland by selling CDs. People heard about us through that. So, yeah, it almost seems as though it's, like, a history of DIY in the fact that, like, you know, we managed to get from nothing into, like, having CDs, having them in the shops. That was a big deal. Um, and then, I guess... We were just, you know what was funny is what we just kind of went back into more underground stuff. We're like, we're going to release a seven inch and do it with a kind of a, I don't know what you'd call it, Los Angeros or like a weirdo, I don't know what it was, like ska country punk. It was certainly hard to nail down. You know, and I mean, we loved that. And we were like, and even as like, we'll say Richter Collective was kind of coming around all this other stuff, we were just like almost backing away from anything, <laughs> anything yeah. that made any sense, you know. Uh, so we and, and uh, we we did another um, a single with uh, Katie Kim doing some vocals on it. That was kind of a demo. And we're just kind of slow writing stuff, I guess, really, you know. And we were gigging a lot. So, and I think we, you know, this will come into it later, but just when we're gigging a lot, we're not able to write as much, you know. So that was why we'll say we started to kind of go, okay, we've got a couple of tracks. Where are we going to go from what we've done before? We've done, you know, we've recorded in houses, we've recorded in kind of semi, you know, makeshift studios and all that. We're like, okay, let let's push push it out there and try and record something in a more serious place. I had actually been in Black Box Studios with Waiting Room doing the second album and it was just, I just said, if we get the experience of doing this, it'll count for a lot. And funnily enough, we brought uh, Spud, sound engineer now, who's like doing stuff with Lancome and he, you know, we, we brought him with us to Member do the recording. Member of too, one That's of my right. favourite bands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he recorded the Borbui thing. So we were like, hey, if we bring, you know, bring him over and then we, we managed to do it it was just a pie in the sky thing but we were always kind of going let's push things out there and do it ourselves yeah. but we realised if we were going to raise the money to do that we'd have to do so many gigs and we didn't really have any merch left and stuff we were like oh what are we going to you know it, it'll just go on for too long if we're trying to raise money through gigs we didn't have any money ourselves so then 
we were just fantasizing about the idea of like how could we get money and then we heard about this kickstarter uh, crowdfunding uh, thing because that was brand new at the time yeah and even so then we ended up going with fundit.ie and at the time there was no music um uh on the platform yet but yeah there was actually there was one other act and i can't remember her name off the top of my head now but she actually just got her thing up there before so we weren't the first but we were the the second to upload it onto it yeah. because we just thought well this makes a lot of sense with our kind of idea of of, of DIY as being like breaking down the barriers between the, the, the people who like the music on either side of the guitar you know what I mean so yeah. it's like hey if you give us the cash we can do the thing for you and it made a lot of sense for us to be able to do that because we've done so many gigs and we're not it's not like a handout we were like, this makes a lot of sense to be able to get, you know, um, it won't happen unless you do it. And yeah. if you want it, we'll do it. And if not, you know, we put a lot of effort into a campaign to get money. Yeah. Um, and then we managed to raise like five grand to get the ferry over to go recording in this amazing studio that um, this guy, Ian Burgess, who kind of taught Steve Albini how to be a sound engineer, converted a farmhouse in France. The X and Shellac and a bunch of bands recorded there. Rednexed albums there. Uh, we recorded with Dave Odlum, who was like a founding member at Keela, and he was in the frames. And he's after winning a Grammy doing mixing for Tanarowin. And uh, you know, after the fact that we were there, so it was just this kind of. It was always us trying to like do stuff ourselves, but push it out there. And the learning experience we got from doing this recording has paid off. You know you know it's it's just unbelievable and it was some a personal goal as well as trying to do the best we possibly could do for the people listening to it we were like how can we do the best thing we could do and it was like all everyone working together so we recorded it and then we were able to just give it to the people who recorded it or who who funded it and then also not profit off of those people's investment and just say hey you've now allowed everybody to have a listen off this music so it's just yeah. it's creative commons do what you like with it and because um, stems are still available for a remix if you yeah, get in touch with the yeah, lads yeah. so it was just this kind of thing of like let's make this thing happen you know and I mean I guess we were coming at it from an ideological thing as well as it just making sense for us and again now it's it's like oh it's just yeah funding campaigns but we literally had to like rationalize the whole idea of it you know, amongst ourselves, amongst the three of us. And then we talked to the lads around the limb. We said, look, hey, you know, we are able to do this on our own. We don't want to burden anybody with trying to put something out. And then they were like, hey, no, we, we, you know, we'll we'll kind of front the, the, the digital release. And then, you know, just to kind of keep everybody involved. And if it would help them out and help yeah. us out, that would make sense, you know. But it was definitely an exercise in turning listeners into stakeholders. And if my yeah. memory serves me correctly, um, you know, you had different tiers for involvement, including mm. selling the rights to your launch gig, which eventually went to the very short-lived uh, Bourbon Street venue, which is now the White Rabbit Barbecue. I think, you know what, actually, that was a funny one because we, we had like a thing. It was like 500 bucks would play anywhere. Yeah. And... I think Bourbon Street were like, "Hey, we'll just we'll just do it anyway. Do you want to just do a gig?" And I don't even know if what they gave us, but we did do another one, and it wasn't even part of the funding thing as well. Where um, we played in Swinford, in Mayo, great, uh, in a pub that that actually was was closed down, 
and then they only open it a few days of the year to keep the license and it was um, <laughs> I can't remember uh, she's great uh, Walsh was her second name but it was oh, the family owned the, the bar and we, we played there you know and it was uh, just somebody who was like we pulled our money together I was supposed to say was that the Mayo Punks it wasn't it was just it was just people who were into the into the band that you know we kind of knew a few people from up that way but it was literally just all part of that same thing of like hey you know that's what it costs to get us up here and yeah. to make it worthwhile as well we say if nobody shows up or if loads of, you know it's like it's kind of crappy coming up at a number we were probably trying to give money back on the night but um, and then we, we did another thing as well where we had like a, a box that was like instead of and you know the, the artwork for stuff goes into another tangential thing you know having a CD with multiple covers on it and I, I won't even go into it but anyway yeah. Yeah, we had a, a black box that was an electronic noise box that we also gave to people who funded so instead of having a piece of um, you know a record that sits in your shelf or whatever and at the time you know digital listening yeah. You know, the records hadn't really come back. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were always there, but it wasn't like expected of you to have a record. Mm. Everyone was like, but I use my iPod or whatever it was. My creative zen. That's how I listen to tunes. Jesus. <laughs> so we were like, let's give people something else. So now here's a box that actually can make noises that you can use for your own music or soundscapes or anything like that or make you interested in. And we made that box ourselves. Well, you know, the box we bought, we painted it. We made like... Matt pretty much designed the circuitry along with people on the internet for this delay pedal noise box thing. Are there any of those left? There's a few, yeah, yeah. We'll bring them out of hiding mm. on the uh, uh, the 1st of uh, November in the Spalding Fauna. After that point, the timeline for 10 past 7 starts to get a little bit fractured mm. as different people go to different parts of the world. You yourself, you you pursue your career in graphic design with Doodle, etc. Um Maybe talk to us a little bit about, I suppose, just life, taking people in different directions. 10 Past 7 does stay together as an engaged gigging entity at different points over the course of the last mm -hmm. couple of years. Just kind of talk to us about how the process for you has changed of getting together and jamming, um, as, as well as the different things that you've taken on in your own time to keep your creative juices flowing, like Dancing Bears, like Hands Up. Yeah, um, I guess it, it, it's kind of like... We were we were super productive before because we were practicing like four days a week, maybe more, yeah. uh, when we first started. And then if you divide that out to like, you know, drummer moves to Dublin, um, bass players in McCroom or somewhere out in the countryside. Although that was class because we were jamming in, in the countryside a lot of the time. Yeah, no one's giving out to you there. <laughs> yeah, so it was, um, it, it just was like a, a spreading out of... of um, of the time, you know, we could spend on that stuff. And, and uh, we were still gigging quite a lot, I think, though. But also, I guess we weren't gigging. We weren't being asked to play a lot of gigs for a while as well, because I think people were like, oh, they're too big for their boots. Or like, oh, they've just done one last week, so they won't want to do one this week. No, I'll tell you, <laughs> as a promoter at that time, yeah. you talk about 2010 and I was doing stuff with Dropti. Yeah. I had long thought about doing a 10 past 7 gig and then I saw what you were asking for for the launch gig. Oh, right. Thing, and I thought that was your rate. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> oh, right. Well, that makes sense. It was well, just like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we we played so many things. I think that was just... That was actually... The, 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 the price was more so just to get something in the door yeah. and make a special occasion of it. But uh, we played for a lot less. Still do. Still do. Um, it's, it's, it's what it takes to get things going. Yeah, yeah. But I think... So, 
what what I mean I suppose there was a, the high point of all that period between the black box and now was going on a tour in France and Spain with with hands up who wants to die so we did like 10 gigs in 14 days played you know all around France back down down to the south of Spain up to Barcelona and around went to a gig in Paris and came home and that was like something that we had meant to do all the time. We played a couple of tours in, in England that were kind of our own thing. Yeah. But a lot of the venues maybe were almost random rather than uh, maybe people were, who were interested in kind of more specifically our type of music or, or kind of a DIY noise rock or whatever it is. Um, but this tour with Hands Up was like, whoa, you know, people are really coming out to see them. Um and then we were playing and then we kind of ended up swapping who played last on the night and that went really well and people who really liked Hands Up were like, man, eh, what about, who cares about this 10 plus 7 band, but vice versa as well. But we did really realise that if we were to do something like that again, we need to have a full length, um, you know, recording an album, something to promote the gigs and and um, a kind of a new body of work as well because funny enough, if you think of like 10 gigs in as many days there's a lot of times playing those same songs it never felt as though oh geez you, you know i wish we had something else because we were like we're doing <laughs> you know we're really cooking on those songs yeah but if you think about it oh you come back again so it really made us think like oh you know what i mean there was another thing that happened as well where we were kind of sharing merch money with with hands up as well because we're like look we're all in it it's all our petrol together and we're like shit we can't really contribute as much because yeah. and we couldn't if we were on tour with another band, we weren't getting write-ups about our stuff or anything. So actually, for the venue's sake, for the other bands, for everybody's sake, it would it, it makes a lot more sense to have something that you can kind of promote or that can you know bubble to the surface a lot more than an EP that's up for free from a few years ago. You know, yeah. So that kind of really spurred us on to think. Which just seems like obvious stuff, but every time we do anything, we have to come at it from our own way, you know? It's not like, everybody makes an album. We were like, ah, no, <laughs> let's do a bunch of EPs, you know? I, you know, I, I thought that maybe we could collect all the EPs into a, an album and then we get away with it. But. A box set? <laughs> yeah. At some stage. You know. But uh, so we we after that we kind of said right doing gigs uh, uh, because we were kind of all in different parts you know I mean, we were all working people went away on holidays and stuff and that's going on but at the same time we were always kind of playing and a lot of people were wondering if we were still a band and then that's a kind of another funny one where you're like well we're playing as often as we possibly can get together yeah we're, we're probably doing two days of a weekend every two months or something working on stuff but if you're not visible it's like what is a band yeah <laughs> something like that but i mean i guess now um yeah we've got a full kind of album recorded we're just mixing it at the moment so like that time spent not gigging has has kind of meant that we actually could get this far. I can't imagine if we were gigging as much as we we were before. You know, we'll talk a little bit about yeah. the process behind this new upcoming LP, uh, as well as your thoughts on almost parachuting back into the Cork music scene yeah. at this particular juncture a little bit later on. But first, let's go to some more tunes.
Collins is quite a busy spot throughout the jazz, uh, living up to its reputation as a home of folk and Americana, which makes the booking of two of Cork's most forward-thinking soul acts a little bit of a surprise. At 8pm on Sunday, Shukra launching their self-titled debut album with a special intimate gig in the back room of the Douglas Street venue, followed at 11 o'clock by Niall McCabe, a man that refers to himself as transatlantic soul, if transatlantic soul means anything to a Kerry sex bog progger. <laughs> Uh, maybe I am one actually because I was born in America so you are a transatlantic maybe soul am, in yeah. and of itself <laughs> then you're very definitely going to relate to the Niall McCabe band who we'll hear from momentarily but first this is Shukra with brand new single Notions here on Red on Red
Transatlantic Soul with the Niall McKay band with 1 to 4 playing at 11 o'clock on Sunday night as part of Collins's lineup for the Cork Jazz Weekend. Make sure to check out collins.ie or check out Collins Live on social media for more information, uh, including Shukra, Niall McCabe, and I believe all three bookings across the weekend from Mary Collin are sold out. It is a massive weekend up and down the city. And for more information on the Cork Jazz, you can also head to nylor9.com uh, where the complete guide to new music in the city over the course of the weekend is available. This is Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast on redfm.ie and through all of your podcast apps. And we're still joined in studio by Rory O'Brien of 10 Past 7 and a bunch of other weird outfits. Before the tunes, we were talking about how things were coming together heading into this new album. Mm -hmm. And I suppose the thing we ought to ask first of all is, you know, 10 Past 7 comes back from a long gigging break supporting by Curious and playing alongside God Alone on the big stage inside in Dali, as well as announcing this gig that's upcoming at Unspalpine Faunic with Horse in support on Friday, November 1st. A, uh, a sound affair for sound people. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose talk to us a little bit about 10 Past 7 and what it's meant to younger listeners, any kind of feedback you've got from them that are now in their own bands, and just kind of how you feel about... I suppose, parasailing into the current state uh, of weird guitar proggy music in Ireland in 2019. Yeah, I mean, uh, all, all I know is that I know a lot less about what's what's going on because I 
I got all my information from just going to the gigs and going to everything that I could. So yeah, um, I think the first I had a daughter two years or I have a daughter now that's two years old. And uh, the first gig that we got to um, myself and Claire went out in the middle of the day to see an all ages show. And it was God alone uh, upstairs in the, the CYM whatever it is, the, the YMCA in Cork. The girl like, for... <laughs> so it was amazing. Like, so I was like, I'm still going to gigs. But it was an all-ages <laughs> gig. And we saw, you know, saw the lads and I was like, oh, class. That I'm really happy that there's something with some... Because, I mean, as much as I'm, like, I'm a punk or, like, whatever, I, I, I still get off on, like, just uh, musical gymnastics and stuff like that, too, you know. So I think the lads were just, just really cool because they... Uh, you know they have a lot of different things going on they really so it was do. really great to play with them in, in Dali and kind of uh, I mean I, I wonder you know what it was like we played as many gigs as maybe an international touring band over the last while where we were like oh you did Body and Soul and we did one up and we played a bit every year you know yeah. or maybe we skipped a year and so we were kind of tipping away so I guess uh, and then also after recording um you know, learning all the music to be able to record it. Yeah. Doing the gig was, was you know, it didn't feel that kind of um, strange, you know, except trying to get the sound right is always awkward. But I was about to say, how would you feel about playing in Dali in the new space with that Arcline PA system? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I I, uh, I just think it's a great venue. I think it's, it's set up to be for, you know, uh, DJs and stuff. There's a lot of flashy lights and a lot of... So certain things are set up for that, but I think that the lads are doing like I think it's awesome that they're putting on bands and they're trying to like they moved there was a kind of a barrier in front of the stage that's moved out of the way a little bit, yeah, you know, uh, and getting getting people in, you know, it's just it's um it's just such a great place to see things, you know. There's a great visibility. The sound is really good. Well, the sight lines are immaculate, you know. So um, it was really cool to do that. I mean, for us, it was like. We didn't really tell many people we were doing it. It was like, let's do this under the radar. And, and in a funny way, it was kind of trying to uh, maybe play with people we didn't really know personally. Yeah. You know, because that happens where you end up going, oh, is there any gigs? And then you're like playing to the same people again. And, you know, there's there's people who probably started secondary school before the last time we were playing a gig, you know, <laughs> that they could go to. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, um, and we're still kind of, silly childish rock and rollers or whatever it is so I, I think the music is still something that, that people can you know from either end of it our mates who are like all middle aged and people who are kind of just kind of coming into the city or being exposed to getting to see live music I mean it's kind of interesting when you've got the internet you can watch a load of music you can hear it but to get a chance to see stuff live is still there's still a kind of an age barrier to a lot of that stuff mm. or or um you know, or where you are, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can obviously access a lot of stuff on the internet if you're living, you know, or if I was living in Killarney, but you, you're not going to see any bands that are playing something, you know, that's as interesting as what what was on that night yeah. <laughs> in Cork, you know? So um, so I'd like to be able to do more more gigs and as we did before in more random places. Yeah. We talk about 10 past 7 kind of sharing stages with people that you didn't necessarily know personally mm. or maybe a little bit of an age gap. Uh, By Curious were headlining and you know they're being tipped for big, big things on mm. the international scene in terms of Progressive and Matthew Rock, whereas 
God alone have kind of really, really, really made inroads right off of a superhuman wholesale amount of hard work that they yeah, have yeah. really put in. Uh, I suppose maybe talk to us a little bit about how you feel about um, lads making noise now in 2019. You know, how you see the state of things, etc. And just... I, I guess I guess when we were playing, I, I kind of think about this a lot, but I think when we were playing, the fact that we were playing something that was noisy and that was a bit different was in our minds like, you know, uh, an act of defiance or something that was meant to click people's heads into, okay, you don't have to do the same thing all the time. Mm. You know, that just... You know, stopping and starting and doing stuff and maybe, you know, it wasn't about a lineage of, of music where it's like, oh, we're going to reference Fugazi here and that means we like them and then that means we're part of that. You know, it was more just that we wanted it so you could listen to it and be like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. And wow, you can do this. We put a lot of hard work into the music and it was that kind of thing to make something that's like, wow, geez, they really put a lot of effort in and it, but it's not generic in a lot of ways mm. I think now that maybe that message isn't there you know we're just kind of playing it's like there's so much exposure to stuff and your relevance or, or what would be exciting is kind of um, I wonder you know I'm really I'm intrigued about when we play gigs again it's like oh yeah well yeah sure people can people can do that you're allowed to do that you know I mean we'll say you know speaking of Slayer or something you know <laughs> They're finishing up now, but when when they started, it was like you know they'd be pickets outside their gigs, like you know. Now it's yeah. like, psh, well, that's it's, you know. So I I just um, I don't I think that maybe uh, the more interesting stuff is in a lot of different genres and kind of it's just all blown apart, like you know. We're in that post-genre mindset, yeah. right? Where yeah. God alone, and they're dropping so many references to. You know, to, to, to indie and dance into yeah. what is ostensibly black and shoegaze. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I mean, even seeing Fixity play with, like, um, Jimmy Cake and thing, And even Jimmy Cake is a funny one because they kind of evolved as a band. Almost. You know, they yeah. at the time, they sounded this way. And then, you know, when I saw them play a couple of years ago in uh, Body and Soul, it was like this big drone thing. and it was You know, but it was right on point of what was kind of... Uh, refreshing at the time you know mm. whereas I guess with the 10 past 7 as we we've been working on the songs for so long they're not really stuck in time in the same way as as maybe some other stuff I don't know what's new out there I, I, I have no idea I don't know what's going on How maybe you- that's a good thing <laughs> Well, I mean, you certainly occupy your place, and I know that there are yeah. people that are excited to see Ten Past. I think that's again. maybe why I want to get out and be able to play some more gigs. I mean, I did a lot of stuff at like yeah, Cortex, being like a kind of a I don't know what noise metal group, and then doing folk gigs myself and improvised things. And so, I, I, you know, uh, I've I've kept busy doing all that stuff, but in a kind of a live music, loud PA's and stuff in a kind of. I don't know what it's going to be like, or, or who we'll end up playing gigs with, or who we'll meet. And I mean, I hope we don't end up playing with the same type of bands. I don't think that's going to happen because, again, being the beneficiaries of being in that post-genre space, there are younger mm. bands that are going to be enthused for supporting you on whatever gigs tail off yeah. your 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 next album. Um, and on that topic, you were hinting throughout the podcast about the recording of a new mm-hmm. album, the new album nearly being finished and in the mixing process. I suppose talk to us a little bit about how the new album has come together, who you're working with, what the process has been like, and 
maybe what we can expect? Um, what we can expect? <laughs> well, yeah, I just think it's going to be, it's going to sound more like something that we've been working towards all the time, you know? It's yeah. not like a pinnacle of anything, but it is, it is, well, it's it's just, it's got loads of facets to it. And that's what I said, like, this, the songs are made up over a long period of time, but they're all finished in the same way. So I think it's got a lot of, um, a lot of different textures and that. We recorded it up in um, uh, Spud Studio. Well, we recorded with Spud and Ian from Percolator up in um, Gorilla Sounds, uh, which is under a dart bridge, so it's in an arch. But we also practice there. So we kind of practice in um, in Cork and then up in, um, up in Gorilla Studio. So we kind of made up a lot of the stuff in there. So like to be able to record somewhere and like when... When we started maybe writing this, Spud didn't even have a studio in Dublin. And now he's got, like, the kind of gear that he needs to be able to do it. So I think it, it just sounds, like, bang on, you know? Yeah. And he's grown with us and our mentality of, of how things should sound, you know? So I think compared to what we were able to do before uh, in a DIY way, which I would still feel that this is... Um, yeah, it's just it just sounds like class. <laughs> and does recording under a dart kind of produce any challenges? Because you, you just know. have to play loud enough so you can't hear the trains. Class. <laughs> Would those have been included at any stage as kind of part of the ambience? Or I, I assume they've been on too many r- recordings that have been in uh, came out of Gorilla Studio so far. So I think we're going to leave it off. Actually, there's probably more electronic noise. So as the trains kind of go over, there's this kind of wave of electromagnetic magnetic kind of crackling happening. Yeah. And you're like, what's that? Oh, no, that's the train. But that's what so, you want. By that same time. Yeah, but I mean, it's just... Um, uh, yeah, I just think it's it's just I think it's the recording that we would have loved to have done all the time when we yeah. were recording. Like to think that we could practice and actually by curious jam in the room right beside. So we'd met him before. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and this, so there's two. There's actually three practice spaces and studios under these arches of these bridges. You know, yeah. down an alleyway. So it really feels like I don't know. It's back in the the eighties when people were recording and dingy you know alleys rats and mechanics and stuff so but that's getting straight down to the roots of making interest in music yeah. that's that that's the surroundings um speaking of people that have been involved all along are out on the limb going to be involved this time around don't know i mean what we wanted to do again the same as what we um we did with the last few eps was like we can get it together to do this ourselves and uh, and then once we're kind of finishing it, so I'd say once we have it mixed, we'll kind of see what what is this, um, and and then we'll kind of talk to them, and we might talk to some other people or yeah. I I I, I don't know. Um, we we hadn't really thought about it too much because we didn't w- want to tell a, a label and go like well, it's going to be out next week because we don't know, you know, yeah. and we're not going to put any like we've already put enough pressure on ourselves to do it, you know. Yeah. So we'd like to get it done to a point and then start putting it out there and and uh, see where it can go or whatever, you know. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the immediate future of 10 past seven, including the gig on Friday, November 1st mm. at Unspalpine Faunuk. But first, we're going to go to some more tunes from this week's Jazz Weekend Excursion happening at venues all around the city and county from Thursday through Monday. The biggest music weekend of the year and we got two 
cracking homegrown tunes for you as part of that. Playing on Sunday night at the Kino from 8pm. Tickets available at uticket.ie. Elaine Howley and Fixity in a double headliner of incredible Cork psychedelic music. Elaine Howley striking out solo with a single as part of Touch Sensitive Records' Whacker That compilation, uh, a cassette looping composition entitled Song for Mary Black. I actually remember doing an improvised thing with Dan and Elaine in plo- or in the old uh, Gulped Cafe uh, when I was like after getting a bunch of distortion pedals and... I mean, that's, you know, that's the amazing thing of like being able to do stuff, you know, when the Triscoll had that kind of going, mm. where you're like, all these people are like heavily involved in a bunch of other stuff, but we can have a jam together and I don't know, it's class. Speaking of Dan Walsh, we also have Fixity with World Line taken from his No Man Can Tell album, which was released earlier this year. On the other hand, this will be the audio taken from the jazz headliner at the Poor Relation last year which was a jaw-dropping gig. And I mean, physically, I saw BIM kids come down from Dublin, look at each other, a gop as the lads were doing their thing. Um, yeah, sure, we played with... Um, I do vocals with Hands Up Wants to Die and we played with Fixity in, um, in A4 the other week. Like, and Yeah, it's just... I, I, like, for me, I feel more akin to what Fixity are doing maybe than some of the stuff that we were doing back in the day, you know? Yeah. And it's it, it just brings so many different things together and it has that... Um, I don't know, it just feels really right for the moment now where it's like, you know, that, that mix of improv and and kind of just uh, r- simple rhythms, you know? Yeah. It's amazing. Like, yeah. We'll get straight into it. So this is Elaine Howley with Song for Mary Black here on Red on Red.
Fixity with Worldline live at the Poor Relation, closing off last year's jazz weekend festivities at the Poor Relation. The Cork Jazz Festival continues throughout this bank holiday weekend from Thursday, October 26th to Monday, October 28th. This is Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast. And we're joined in studio by Rory from 10 past 7 and a whole bunch of other outfits. And Rory, before we wrap it up for this episode of the podcast, the floor is yours. Any curses you want to put on people, uh, any shopping lists that you want to run past people that are listening, uh, it's all yours. Um, yeah, I mean, we're doing a gig in Cork though after the jazz weekend. So when everyone is like jazzed out of it, um, then they get to kind of maybe get the cure on. Um, so maybe it's not a curse, it's a cure from the jazz weekend after the day after Halloween in the Spalpeen Faunuk. Uh, we're playing with Horst. There's going to be a few other acts announced but we're still kind of uh, figuring out some stuff. But it's just going to be, we're going to do like fancy dress stuff and there's going to be a bunch of weird things happening. And we haven't played in Cork. I think it's been like maybe two years since we did our own gig in the city. And it was actually in the Spalpeen before and I think it's just an ideal place for people to have the crack. It is lovely. Like, you know, you can you, you don't have to be bombarded with the like the loudness of the music, or you can, or you can you can talk, you can move around, it's not, you know, and it's not um grandiose. <laughs> so that tiered structure is drinks. perfect for that. Yeah, yeah. And like we haven't gotten enough chance to play with horse before, and like they're you know, good buddies of ours. Um so I think it's a good yeah, it's gonna be pretty cool, and we'll have a couple other things to announce soon. And uh yeah, and then we won't be back around. That's the other thing is we're kind of, once we do this gig, we're going to be not doing gigs again until maybe it could be could be summertime again, you know, before we're kind of doing something again because we're going to be finishing this album and the gigs get in the way. Of course they do. <laughs> so. But of course, everybody can get caught up on your previous releases at 10past7.bandcamp.com. Yeah. They can find you in all of the streaming services. Um you're not very social though, like as in like their social media pages, etc. But we didn't know what they were, you know, and then we had nothing to say because we were jamming. You're busy men. You're 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 busy knocking out the tunes more so than uh, yeah. worrying about engagement. Yeah, I mean, when we will have something to 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 share with people soon, I think, and then it'll make more sense. Yeah. Savage, really looking forward to it. That about wraps it up for this week's episode of Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast from Red FM and redextra.ie. Thank you very much to Rory Francis O'Brien for joining us this episode. Thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please take the time to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, as well as all your other podcasting platform. Every like, every share on social media, every subscription, every rating, every bit of word of mouth helps us spread the word of DIY music in Cork City. Make sure to check out the artists featured online or an upcoming gig including this weekend's Jazz Festival. And if you'd like more Irish tunes, please be sure to listen into Green on Red on Sunday nights with Alan O'Donovan for the best of all that is Irish on Cork's Red FM 104 to 106. Rory, you're leaving us with the closing title of your last release uh, going all the way back to 2010. This is Orientation from Black Box Recordings. Yeah, this is actually, I've just, all I have is visions of me playing in, in France, lying on the ground for the intro and kind of closing my eyes and then opening my eyes when I had to get up to continue playing the song and everyone just looking over me like I was in a grave. Uh, That's when I hear this song. That's what I think about. (laughs) And you too can transcend with the help of 10 past 7. This is Orientation. This has been Red on Red. And we'll talk to you next week.
Red on Red.